Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Whether through multi-million dollar investments in startups or high dollar mergers and acquisitions of larger established companies, the food and beverage industry currently is being flooded with funding and with it comes many opportunities, but also many challenges. In February alone, the Moringa Focus Company Cooley Cooley raised $5 million in Series B funding. The grain-free Mexican-American food manufacturer Siete raised $90 million, while the direct-to-consumer baby food brand Little Spoon raised $7 million, and the on-demand food service DoorDash racked up $400 million in Series F round. This is just a small sample of all the money that's coming in. And while this money is opening doors for entrepreneurs and established brands alike, according to the president of the Specialty Foods Association, Phil Kafarakis, it also can close doors if the deals aren't structured strategically or the money is not managed carefully. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Phil explains how the current influx of funds is reshaping the competitive landscape, impacting the consumer experience, influencing leadership, and changing how both established and new companies operate their businesses, for better and worse. To best understand the pros and cons of fundraising, Kafarakis says that entrepreneurs and established brands need to look first at the risks revealed by activist investors and venture capitalists' early involvement with large brands. So these activists have come into the food business and they've really ramped it up the last 24 months. And and a shining example is what's going, what happened at Campbell's with Loeb and, and his, and his guys. And I start there, um, with these, uh, venture Capitalists, activists—they uh, want—they're—they're they're about financials, so they're going to go right into the first immediate thing that you see them doing is uh, buying and selling companies, these huge mergers, and it's about synergies. It's about driving down costs. And to get those returns, he explained that activist investors initially began with cost-cutting measures as ways to soften the impact of rising commodity costs and production inefficiencies. So this meant trimming out the middle management, cutting costs, and to an extent restricting more expensive internal innovation as a way to increase margins and generate higher returns for shareholders. When this didn't work, Kavaraka says that activists decided that the best solution was to make companies bigger and stronger by bringing together iconic brands that could dominate the shelf and squeeze out the competition. While this might have sounded good on paper, Kavarakis notes that at the same time all of this was happening, consumers' values were changing, and the only ones to notice were entrepreneurs at smaller companies that were not as focused inwards as larger established brands were at the time. The end result was a shift in share from larger companies such as Kraft Heinz to smaller ones such as Sir Kensington's. Two guys, Brown University, come up with an idea create a character of the snippety servant in the palace in England who takes ketchup and takes all the bad stuff out of ketchup and makes ketchup 
you know, organic and simple, not sugar added, very simple ketchup. Goes in, big marketing campaign, big social media campaign, understands the consumer dynamic, works through the supply chain with Whole Foods. The next thing you know, they're taking share from Heinz. That's, that's starting to happen so fast now that they are just one small example of what happened. And this is the beginning of this transformation that specialty food uh, members and entrepreneurs are starting to seize the day. Nobody knew who Kind Bar was and how they came to power in a category where it was dominated by Mondelez brands. Nobody knew what kale chips was until you know, some of these uh, rhythm foods and some of these small young entrepreneurs took over and all of a sudden Frito-Lay was freaking out. So, so there, there are some smart entrepreneurial people that are capturing consumers' ethos and values and bringing their brands to market, and they've completely turned around the model that big brands had traditionally followed in bringing innovation and products to the marketplace. As these brands and others like them have gained loyal consumers, they've also gained the attention of venture capitalists and venture funds that are creating incubators and accelerators and other brand building infrastructures as a way to get in on the action. And while they have a lot to offer, Kafarakis warns that if entrepreneurs are not careful, they'll fall into the same trap as the big brands did with activist investors. There are now I could say thousands of boutique venture funds, specifically in food, specifically in, you know, wellness, if you will, uh, that are attracting a lot of our members. So the problem becomes you're an entrepreneur, you got this thing going, you believe in it, you know what you want, you've got some social values, now you've got a guy's money, and the guy's going to start telling you how he wants the return to come along. So once you start getting involved with, return on investment, the margin structure, the pressure of a quarterly earnings, you will then be at risk as, as a brand. You can easily get yourself in the same predicament big brands uh, have, have been to. But according to Kafarakis, history doesn't have to repeat itself as long as entrepreneurs remember who they are and carefully select investment partners who share their ethos. The difference that I see in our community is that the venture boutiques and the venture capital folks that are dealing with our people know them, understand that. They, they value, again, I keep saying ethos and values of the company because a lot of these companies care about you know, the passion that uh, brought the company forward. They care about the consumer values that go with their brand. Um, and, and um, it's that partnership, you know, getting the right money guy who's not going to completely rip you apart because he needs that thing going from, you know, 300 stores to 2,000 stores to 5,000 stores and flipping your company. Again, that, that, that whole hierarchy has changed, and uh, we're proud of being able to bring these companies into the fold so the venture capital community can see them. So how can entrepreneurs ensure that they're teaming up with the right investment partners? Kafaraka says they first need to know who they are and what they want. And then they need to vet multiple investors until they find someone who shares their common goals. 
first thing they, uh, I think they need to ask themselves is how big do they want their brand to be? How do they vision their business? And before they even start, you know, they've clearly started a business. We're talking about they went from seed to startup. Now they're, now they're about to go from startup to scale up. Uh, it, it begins with them first. They're going to have to sit down and have a really hard conversation about their beliefs and their brand and their business model. Is this a lifestyle brand? Is this something they want to scale and flip? Is this something they want to build and grow because they're a small town and they're going to bring jobs and they're going to create values in their community and they're going to buy a, a, a rundown plant that put people out of work and revitalize uh, the area and be a uh, local you know, leader and, and help their community? Is that part of their, what they want to do? Here's a great example of that, right? <laughs> Jobani, Phoenix, that rose out of the ashes of an old craft plant that got eliminated because it wasn't, it met the, the end of the old model. I love talking about Jobani. So they have to start with what they want as a brand, as a business. And then they have to go talk to all these people. Don't just get the first guy that comes along because you really um, – you really need the money. If you really need the money, you need to really examine your business model. That, I mean, that's going to be the most defining choice. And as we talk to our community, that's the first thing they talk about is that what, where do they want to be? Where do they see themselves? What's the plan? Next thing is to talk to everybody. Talk to everybody in the space. Uh, and when you're inside the community, uh, especially with the Special Food Association in particular, we've, we've got people uh, in this space uh, talk to everybody. Understand who they are first. Understand what their values are first. Understand the conditions that come with the money and whether they support, uh, again, what you want to be. I think those are the two most important things. Then after that, it becomes a business proposition and a business plan. It's very methodical. Once entrepreneurs have found the right partner and begin to scale up, they must continue to communicate directly with consumers in order to avoid disenfranchising shoppers who initially were attracted to their business because they perceived it as being run by, quote, real people rather than by a faceless giant corporation. Trust on big brands, process manufacturing, all that stuff. Consumers are very suspicious. Everybody's reporting about it. There is no trust. The traditional methods of discounting and trying to buy brand loyalty don't work. Why? The guerrilla marketing approach and these building, I'm building up communities that are loyal to your brand because of your brand's values, your ethos. Your, you've got a brand and your kid's got an allergy, and now that brand satisfies mom's need for that kid's allergy. You know, that building that community and leveraging technology, the focus becomes on that consumer. So they talk to that consumer. You know, technology has allowed you to become very personal and very direct with your consumer. So through multiple multiple tactical components of a social media strategy, you start to bring that consumer along. They start looking for your product. You start engaging with them. You send them product. They, you do product testing in their house. You know, it, the platform to engage directly with your core consumer is easy now. And you got to do that first as you, you know, one step at a time. It's, it's, it's more about being deep inside 
your brand and your distribution versus being wide and all over the place. So one regional chain with 10 stores and this consumer base in your backyard will build out your model. Kefarak has added that keeping an open dialogue with consumers can also help small brands leverage better placement in stores without having to fork over limited resources for slotting fees. Go back to your retailer, or you're back to your restaurant, or you're back to your, the, the community you sell your the supply chain and go, hey, look, look what I'm doing for you. I'm pulling it through. I've got this, I've got this consumer who's following me, uh, who's listening to me, who understands my product. Here, let me show you. Now, now there's an advantage because you're pulling it all the way through. You're not just selling it to them, getting authorized, going in their stores, like going into their warehouse, and six months later, they're telling you to come pick up the product. So it's kind of a piggyback because you, you probably uh, need the money to get closer to that consumer. Don't, my advice would be don't get money to go pay slotting fees and try to get yourself a distributor or a distribution partner and spend the money inside the supply chain. Spend the money extending your relationship with the consumer and, and use every tactic known to mankind in social media today. And, and you see that's happening in big brands. Uh, Good Food is another brand that I love watching. And he, those guys are really, really smart. And they're building communities. You should see their social media strategy. You should see the people that follow them, the people that give them likes, the people that give them comments. And you compare those numbers to retail numbers or, or, or brand, big brands, and you'll be amazed uh, across, again, a host of social, uh, social platforms. So first know who you are and understand what you want. Partner with somebody who's got the money that shares in your values. Spend the money on building community with, the, with your core consumer who's your loyalist that will never leave you because you're solving their problem. And then you do it one step at a time. And it'll, it'll snowball. It's just that part in the beginning where they tell you to have patience. <laughs> While entrepreneurs and startups can navigate many of these issues on their own at the beginning, at some point they'll grow large enough that they'll need help. And that is when Kavarakis advises founders to team up with an industry veteran who knows the ropes, but is who's still open to innovation and a new way of doing business. You have these great, smart founders, but they need a right-hand man, a woman, particularly a woman these days, uh, who gets it with bringing, bringing it forward. Uh, and it's got to be, it just can't be, you know, Indra anymore. It has to be a group of people that are part of a, a, a team um, who can go across. It's, it's a very active matrix. Um, and it re- will require the combination of some very impatient, passionate entrepreneurs with huge beliefs and hearts who are going to have to learn how to operate in a little bit more of a you know, process-driven world. Um, so it's going it, it, to the concept of two men teams and uh, two women teams is it's gonna it's gonna rule the day. In the end, he added that change is never easy, but having someone trustworthy to share the burden can help companies, large and small, push forward and succeed. 
And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.